If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a PhD holding historian, a professor, and the creator of History That Doesn't Suck, a podcast that makes legit, seriously researched American history come to life through entertaining stories. Join me for a chronological telling of the United States story, from the revolution to fractious civil war, tenacious inventors, brave reformers, and more. With more than 100 episodes, you can already binge listen your way from 1776 to the early 20th century. Listen to History That Doesn't Suck on Spotify. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. I am married to a a wonderful woman, a woman who is full of empathy and love and caring and brutally competitive and uh let me give you an example you That's are not accurate you are so competitive no, it's, re- it's not it's ridiculous i love you but you are so competitive she she went to donate blood what was it two days ago and, <laughs> and this is just now that's she, not me. she comes she comes home and i said so you gave blood today and she yeah and i said how'd you do and she said i won i'm like what what do you, what well, how fast did you bleed out? You gave a pint. Seven in, minutes, 50 seconds. Was that a personal best? You beat everybody else on the table. <laughs> but, but was that a personal best? I, I, can't, I can't say. I don't keep track of those kinds of things because I'm not competitive. You see, I find that surprising. I, I'm Because surpri- you, you love lists mm-hmm. and you love to win. Yeah. So I thought maybe you were keeping a list of how fast you bleed out when you go to the Red Cross. It's not my fastest, but it's pretty good. Oh, it is? Well, yeah. We're good. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. We announced our third live show for Halloween week, and it will be at Laugh Boston in Boston. So excited. Fingers crossed the Red Sox are still playing. With the last week in, of October? we're in town. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's a tall order this season, but uh, who knows? We're going to be at Laugh Boston, October 27th, Sunday night, then at the Comedy Zone in Charlotte on October 29th, that's a Tuesday, and then the next night, Wednesday, back at Zany's Comedy Nightclub in Nashville. We're so excited to have these all set and lined up um, in advance is really pleasing for me and the way that I need to do things. Because you're a list maker. (laughs) (laughs) Put it right next to your bloodletting list. So we did announce it on uh, social media yesterday. And if, by the way, you're not a member of our any of our social media pages, we would love to have you join us. Yeah, come find us. When we announced the new tour, we got just a, a flurry of great comments. And I love this one. Jay Glenn. And he said, you know, we're over here in England, patiently sipping our tea and glancing at our watches, right? (laughs) 
I love it. I responded in, and said, we would love to enjoy a spot of tea with you. And he writes back, huzzah, mind you, I'm not letting you anywhere near the harbor with it. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess that rules out the Boston show for him. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. We would love to go to England. Oh, and, my gosh. Yeah, and Australia, too. I want to go all the places. We get like, so legitimately, many... I want to go to all of the places. She has a list for that, too, and I'm not kidding. She definitely does. It's on Pinterest. It is your turn to go first, my love. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's good, because this is rough. All right. It's 2009 in the Nizhny Novgorod area in Russia. Okay. And locals begin to discover the graves of their loved ones are being desecrated. What? And sometimes completely dug up. Russian officials taking this seriously, they decided to beef up their police units. They actually formed a task force. Uh, But for nearly two years, this was going on, and the Interior Ministry's leads weren't panning out. Graves continued to be desecrated, and no one knew why. What kind of desecration? Just knocking over tombstones and stuff, or digging people up? Well, I just said, and sometimes completely dug up. I missed that part. I was still trying to, in my mind, picture how that name that you said was spelled... There are a lot lot of of consonants. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. Uh In 2011, there was a terrorist attack at an airport in Moscow. And shortly afterwards, authorities heard reports that Muslim graves were being desecrated Hmm. in cemeteries in that town. So they were investigating a specific lead at a specific cemetery. And they found at that cemetery, someone was painting over the pictures of the dead Muslims on the graves. That's weird. So this guy's name is Anatoly Moscovin. And they thought this was a little sketchy for sure. And so they wanted to speak to him, do a little digging, fi- <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Um, figure out what, what the deal was. Because this wasn't the kind of desecration that they were seeing, but it was still very strange and not okay. No. So eight police officers went to his apartment after they apprehended him at the graves uh, to gather evidence. So Anatoly Moscovin, who uh, normally in a situation like this, I would pick the easier to pronounce of the names and just call him that from now on. Mm-hmm. But uh, Anatoly, no, that just feels, uh, Moscovin, that sounds like Muscovy Duck. Call him Duckman. So Duckman mm-hmm. uh, was an academic and he was very interested in uh, Celtic history and folklore as well as languages and linguistics. He had a deep interest in cemeteries, burial rituals, death, and the occult. He had a personal library of over 60,000 books and documents. Holy crap. He was a bit of a pack rat, for sure. Yeah, I can see that. He spoke at least a dozen languages. Holy crap. Yeah. So they went into his apartment, and yes, pack rat is a great way to describe him. Just stuff everywhere, um, including those books and documents that we talked about, uh, memorabilia for various things, uh, and a lot of dolls. Okay, dolls, like full-sized... Life-sized, doll-like figures throughout the apartment. Okay, warning sign. The figures resembled antique dolls. They wore fine and varied clothing. Some wore knee-high boots, other makeup on their faces that um, Scoven had covered in fabric. He also had their hands wrapped in fabric. 
um, which was kind of strange, mm. um, until you realize that they're human hands because these are human yeah, people that's what I dressed w- as dolls. Yeah, I knew it. They were the mummified corpses of human girls. Okay. So Muscovin's parents, who he shared this apartment with, had seen the mummies, but had also thought that they were large dolls. Um, and that's totally understandable, well, yeah, sure. considering that you don't think that your son is a maniac who's mm-hmm. bringing home corpses, and also the fact that they played music when you touched them. Wait, back up just a minute. He had somehow installed musical devices inside these corpses i'm getting there was it bluetooth no no it's much more rudimentary okay more along the lines of jamming music boxes in their rib cages huh yeah i could have done a better job with some bluetooth oh for sure you know i mean you've got that jukebox that you made uh with the touch screen on the front out of an old antique radio and it is so cool thanks you're a pretty talented guy it was fun and it was a lot easier than jamming a boom box in the rib cage of a dead person so investigators for the center of combating extremism discovered the 26 bodies in muscovin's (gasps) apartment and garage Videos released by police showed the bodies seated on shelves, laying on sofas, hanging out in his bedroom, all over the apartment. Uh, According to the investigators, the bodies were removed from cemeteries in his town as well as surrounding towns in the Moscow region. Oh, my God. So when this was discovered, Moscovin, Duckman, actively cooperated with investigators. He loved history. He traveled extensively. He taught at the college level. Mm -hmm. He was a journalist part-time, and he was known as having the most knowledge about local cemeteries of anybody in this area. He was kind of called like the ultimate expert in cemeteries. He would go to cemeteries in the area from 2005 to 2007. He claimed to have visited 752 cemeteries. He took detailed notes on each cemetery. He went into the histories of those buried there. And he claimed to have walked up to 20 miles per day just exploring these cemeteries. You see, up to the part where he dug up dead people, Mm -hmm. I think I could have really enjoyed this guy's company. Right? It's super interesting. And I love the... The enthusiasm with which he uh, approaches these explorations. Can we go back to the whole when you touch the corpse music plays? I'm getting there. Okay, never mind. Okay. Duckman actually posted a documentary series of his travels and discoveries entitled Great Walks Around Cemeteries and What the Dead Said. And these continue to be published in a weekly newspaper. So we have these corpses, mostly mummified, in this apartment, uh, a great number of them, and police are trying to figure out what is going on here. And so they start talking to him about where this obsession comes from. He said that when he was 13, he was on his way home from school, and a group of men in black suits stopped him. They were on their way to a funeral for an 11-year-old girl, and they forced him to go to this funeral. And this is uh, according to Duckman, Uh the mother of the deceased 11-year-old girl Mm -hmm. forced Duckman to, quote-unquote, marry this girl they exchanged rings and then he went on his way and the the mom 
was happier knowing that her daughter had died or had, was being buried, married. At 11. At 11. Uh-huh. <sighs> uh, you know, maybe. But I find that a little bit difficult to believe. I don't know. We've talked about people who arrange marriages post-mortem. Yeah. So although 26 bodies were discovered in his home, he was suspected of desecrating as many as 150 (sighs) graves. And after police found grave things, accoutrement, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, such as nameplates removed from headstones, they also started finding personal belongings and clothing Inside some of the mummies. Like his personal clothing? Mm. He was using a dead person as a hamper? No, I'm sorry. I didn't make that very clear. Their items uh, and other grave items stolen from cemeteries inside the the mummies. Okay. Uh, One mummy had a piece of her own gravestone with her name scrawled on it inside her body. Another contained a hospital tag with the date and cause of the girl's death. There was a dried human heart found inside a third body. And then, of course, there were the music boxes that he had put in there so that they would make noises when he uh, moved them. Yeah. Okay. So you said when they touched them, the music would play. How did he work that technology out? I don't know specifically. Or was it motion activated? I d- honey, I don't know. You know, you walk by the corpse, uh-huh. like a motion activated light in your yard mm-hmm. would make the corpse. You've got a lot of great ideas here, yeah. and I, I want to jot those down. You know what I would have done? <laughs> I would have integrated the clapper technology. Oh, sure. So you could just go. And then the corpse plays Girls Like You by Maroon 5 featuring Cardi B. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So obviously, uh, corpses in your apartment, they cause some some troubles. They, he was really struggling with keeping their bodies from withering and shrinking as they dried. So he was wrapping their limbs in strips of cloth to provide fullness. He would stuff their bodies with rags and padding, sometimes adding wax masks decorated with nail polish over their faces before dressing them in brightly colored children's clothing and wigs. And these details are what made them look like big dolls. Sure. Which is how it is alleged that his parents went as long as they did without knowing what was going on. But still, he has got an apartment full of 26 life-size dolls all made up in children's clothing. Would not that raise your eyebrows a little bit? Wouldn't you think, I got to sit down and talk with Doc Man, Little Ducky. We, we called him when he was little. They may have mm-hmm. um, been weirded out by it, but they certainly didn't think he was bringing corpses home. Wow. Maybe they did. I don't know. I don't know these people. But keep in mind, they weren't coming over to his apartment. They shared an apartment. They lived there. Oh. But according to reports, they did travel a lot. <laughs> okay. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We got to get out it's of here. It's getting stuffy. Ducky's brought home more friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're in court and Duckman confessed to 44 counts of abusing the graves and corpses of girls aged three to 12. <gasps> Holy crap. He told interrogators that he was waiting for science to find ways for these girls to live again, as well as also wanting to learn more and become an expert in mummification. Uh-huh. He was always looking to learn. He did tell investigators during the course of this process not to rebury the girls too deeply because he would gather them again once he was free. 
He also told bereaved parents who described him as evil, uh, I'm not evil, you're evil, you abandoned those girls, and I brought them home and warmed them up. Oh. Yeah. Okay. One of the mothers of the one of the girls found in his apartment uh, talked about how upsetting this whole situation was because they found that um, the the girl who was 10 when she had died uh, had been at his apartment for nine years. And the mother said, it's upsetting to me that I had her for 10 years and he had her for nine. Ooh. And then in court, when he spoke to them about having abandoned them, and I mean, this woman had already lost her daughter to murder. Someone had murdered her child. Oh, my God. And then to find out nine years later, I can't even. I'm I'm just going to, this is the elephant in the room. Was he having sex with the corpses? He was not having sex with the corpses, allegedly. Okay, but we do not know this. Uh, Is that just what he said? What he told police was that he cared for these girls, corpses, as though he was caring for his own children, Mm -hmm. Um, that he picked out each girl very specifically, that he would lay on their graves and try to get in touch with the girls, and he would listen for what they said. Often, he said, they would ask to be taken out for a walk. Okay. He had birthday parties for these girls. Their birthdays were all marked in uh, on a chart in his bedroom, which I do appreciate. Because you're a list maker. And they would celebrate their birthdays. Wow. Some of the corpses would lose his favor. And he had a few of them that were stored in the garage. And some of them he reburied. What, I don't know what, what could, possibly could have happened. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have the answer to this. Wow. Police said that he was not motivated by sexual desires. Hmm. One officer said, quote, he loathed sex and he thought it was disgusting. Okay. He had actually believed that rescuing, quote unquote, these children from having been buried was more important than following the law. And he was sad that he couldn't have children and he had once tried to adopt a child, even against the wishes of his parents, who he lived with, which you can't just you can't just bring new children into homes with. I mean, you, your parents have to agree to that kind of thing. Was this his parents' apartment? Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. Wow. Um, he wasn't allowed to adopt because uh, he was declined due to his low income. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. So Duckman was charged under Article 244 of the Criminal Code for desecration of graves and dead bodies, uh, which carried up to five years in prison. But um, after a psychiatric evaluation, it was determined that he suffered from a form of schizophrenia. And in a hearing, he was deemed unfit to stand trial. The prosecution was satisfied with that. They didn't appeal the verdict. And so he was sent to a hospital. So last year... This is 2018. Psychiatrists claimed that they had cured him and recommended outpatient treatment. Now, keep in mind, the families of the corpse, the corpse girls freaked out and were like, no, he has repeatedly shown that he is not someone who we can have out and about. He even said, 
if you let me out, mm. I will unearth these girls again. So the psychiatrists reversed their claim, but because that court order was already granted, for a period of time, he was technically free to leave, and he had plans to move to Moscow. There were some people who worked very hard to delay his being let out, and last month, uh, the court said that he would be held indefinitely. Okay. All right. How, so, how long was he out? Was he out? He was not out. He was not. No. Okay. They kept... They delayed it. They kept delaying until they could make a ruling that said, no, Okay. you did not cure him. We don't care. Yeah. He's not getting out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so that was just resolved last month. Incredible. Yeah. Being obsessed with the occult, being obsessed with um, the possibility of, what's that word? Reanimation. Reanimation. It may have just been his interests combined with his mental health issues. Right. Com- you know, it, it may have just been a combination that, that didn't work out well. I still think the clapper idea is good. That's, that's, yeah. yeah. And now, the Box of Oddities brings you that thing in the middle. Here's a list of really gross co-workers. Number five. Quote, I stopped asking my co-workers how their weekends were after one had responded with not good. My husband's teeth rotted and we spent all night at the dentist getting them pulled. Now, as if that's not bad enough, she then proceeded to pull out a pill bottle, opening it, saying, they're so gross. Smell them. That's a hard nope. Number four. A co-worker of mine, among other things, brought in a live tree to our already tiny office. She had cut it down from the side of the road. Also, she brought a fish to work every day and named it Swimmy Timmy. R.I.P. Swimmy Timmy. You didn't deserve to live in a water bottle. Wow. Number three, it was a rare warm winter day, but the AC in the office didn't adapt to the warmer temperature. Everyone was wearing sweaters. Since it's an HR faux pas to start taking clothes off, my coworker remembered we had those colored freezy pops in the refrigerator. So she proceeded to put several of them down her pants to cool herself off. Number two, during staff meetings, we'd all crowd into a lunchroom to meet. One guy who sat in the middle of the room decided meetings like this were the perfect time to trim his toenails. And number one, at a call center with shared cubicles as far as the eye could see, I had a coworker who changed her pad under her desk. No, no. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids. And they live about 3,000 miles away. And my daughter is expecting a child. And she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's 
A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A frames.com and use code oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Life may be like a box of chocolates, but this is the box of oddities. My topic today is something most people have have heard of, probably know a little bit about, but I'm going to do a a bit of a deep dive on this okay? and uh, see if I can provide you with some information about this that perhaps you have not heard. Okay. I'm going to talk about the Kennedy curse. (gasps) What? Yeah. But I I have questions. (laughs) I just started. I haven't said anything. You have questions already? Did you already plan to do this before we started talking about it today? Or is our conversation earlier today what spurred this topic? Um, it was on. It was in my queue okay. of, of topics. But when we started talking about it, it this morning, I thought, oh, that'd be a good one to finish up and, and do today. The Kennedy curse, according to Wikipedia, is a term for a series of, of deaths and calamities that the uh, Kennedy family... Um, has experienced for quite a while. Of course, we all know about JFK's assassination and RFK's assassination, Chaffaquiddick incident where Teddy Kennedy drove his car into the lake, killing Mary Jo Kopechny, many, many more things, which uh, has become known as the Kennedy curse. In fact, Ted Kennedy, in his own testimony about the Chaffaquiddick incident in 1969, said... I sometimes begin to wonder if my family is cursed. Others, of course, would say, it's a big family. Sure. You know. Things happen. Things happen. But there's no denying that uh, some pretty terrible things have happened to the Kennedy family over the years. According to Ireland's big issue, no one has ever really been able to pin down the source of the bad luck 
but uh, that is until recently. Oh. Yeah. There's this story that has been uh, uncovered, and uh, I guess it's been told for years in Ireland, but uh, was never really uh, publicized much in, in the U.S., the curse goes back to allegedly, according to uh, to the, the, this article, Thomas Honey Fitzgerald, Thomas Honey Fitz Fitzgerald, which would have been John F. Kennedy's great grandfather. The story goes that he had a dream that uh, he was going to find gold, and he had a very a precise location in mind. He he dreamed very vividly, and and it was a recurring dream. It was near some mountains. It was by a tree, by a brook, okay. you know. And so he was obsessed with finding this place throughout his his life. Uh, one night he was traveling with some friends and they came across a woman who was dying. So they carried her to a local herdsman's house, a, a cottage. Mm-hmm. And um, the next morning he recognized the area as part of his the dream that he had. He saw, he saw a tree that resembled a tree that he had dreamed of. He dug it up and he found like a kettle of gold. Like a, a pot of gold? Like a pot of gold. Interesting. Yeah. Now, word is that uh, everybody associated with the gold and the, in the, in finding the gold, everybody he gave the gold to, some horrible thing happened to them. Well, that's not fair. He did a nice thing by helping that lady. Yeah. And then was rewarded by cursed gold. It was said that uh, the gold coins brought down terrible luck on the entire village, starting with uh, his friend O'Malley's wife. She poisoned herself and died. Forty houses before the famine, which were mostly hovels in a landlord's house, were blown over by the wind in 1839. Story is the gold had washed ashore. There were Spanish doubloons, and there was some sort of an Incan curse or, or, or something like that. So... So Thomas Fitz leaves for America. Sure, his hovel blew over. As hovels will do. Mm. He moves to Boston. He has a son. His son, John Francis Fitzgerald. He was born in the north end of Boston. He became a pretty successful politician in his own right. He became mayor of Boston from 1906 to 1908. Uh, He was defeated for re-election in 07, but then won again in January of 1910 and returned to the office until uh, 1914. Boston, huh? I hear it's nice in October. He had promised a guy named Michael Curley that he would not run for another term as mayor uh, since it was a position that Curley sought, and they were, I guess, friends. But in 1913, Fitzgerald decided to run for re-election anyway, so Curley uh, did what politicians do. They expose embarrassing information about their opponents. Yep, that's um, what they do. Yep. He threatened to expose a dalliance that uh, Fitzgerald had with a cigarette girl called Toodles Ryan. What? Yeah. What a glorious name. It was at a local gambling club, so he backed off. He would started to focus on business as opposed to politics, but when his grandson, JFK, won his seat in Congress, uh, he was still alive. This was, uh, he was 83 years old, and he helped JFK plan his campaign strategy. At the victory celebration, Honey Fitz danced an Irish jig, sang Sweet Adeline, and predicted that his grandson would someday occupy the White House. I have a question. If, if Honey Fitz Fitzgerald was mm. Honey Fitz Fitzgerald, mm-hmm. when did they become the Kennedys? 
Honeyfit's daughter was Rose, and she married Joe Kennedy in the early 1900s. And that was a politically motivated arrangement because the Kennedys were up-and-coming politicians, or Joe Sr. was an up-and-coming politician, and he knew that Honey Fitz was a big wig in the Boston area, so he married Honey Fitz's daughter. Got it. And that's how the curse transferred, allegedly, from Honey Fitzgerald to, uh, to the Kennedy clan. According to CNN, here are some of the things that people attribute to the Kennedys being cursed. Many people in 1999 remember uh, when JFK's son, John Kennedy Jr., and his wife, Carolyn Bissett Kennedy, and sister-in-law, Lauren Bissett, uh, crashed their airplane. He became disoriented and crashed into uh, to the Atlantic. But 35 years earlier, Ted Kennedy survived a 1964 plane crash that killed two people. My goodness. Which also reminds me... <clears throat> We know of somebody else who survived a plane incident. Who's that? Your grandfather. Yes. <laughs> Which is one of my favorite stories that, that mama told us ever. It's a glorious story. I don't know if you have time to tell it now or if you're inclined to tell it now, but it is a f- wonderful story. You can tell it later if you want, but it must be okay. told. Okay, yeah, I, I think it would uh, it would take a little time to tell that, but it is a pretty amazing story. Next episode, okay, I'll tell that it is story. the best story. President Kennedy's older brother Joe Kennedy Jr. died in 1944 in an air disaster after volunteering to pilot a secret and extremely dangerous World War II bombing mission oh. over Nazi-occupied France. Four years after the family lost Joe Jr. President Kennedy's sister, Kathleen Kennedy, who was named Kick, she and three others died when uh, their small plane crashed in France while flying in a storm. She was only 28 years old. What? So just plane crashes alone. How many people in your family have died in a plane crash? Uh, they had four or five, you know, or that were in plane crashes. Not also, all of them keep died. in mind that like no one in my family was even on a plane until about 1996. Really? We're poor. (laughs) (laughs) Here is, I've organized this chronologically. We're going to run through the Kennedy curse. Okay. Here we go. Ready. 1941, Rosemary Kennedy was often believed to have been intellectually disabled. Oh, we talked about her lobotomy. She had a lobotomy. She was institutionalized until her death in 2005. Uh, Rosemary's condition may have inspired her sister Eunice to initiate the Special Olympics in 1962. Oh, that's nice. August 12th, 1944, Joseph P. Kennedy Jr. He uh, died in in a plane crash, like we mentioned. On May 13th, 1948, Kathleen, she died in a plane crash. 1961, Joe Kennedy Sr. suffered a massive stroke, which left him paralyzed on his right side. August of 1963, Patrick Bouvier Kennedy died of infant respiratory distress syndrome after being born two days premature. November 22nd, 1963, of course, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas. June 19th, 1964, Ted Kennedy involved in his plane crash. June 5th, 1968, Robert Kennedy, assassinated by Sirhan Sirhan. July 18th, 1969, the Chappaquiddick incident. Ted Kennedy accidentally drove off the bridge, Chappaquiddick Island, which uh, fatally trapped his 28-year-old passenger, Mary Jo Kopechny, inside. 
August 13, 1973, Joseph P. Kennedy II was the driver of a Jeep that crashed and left his passenger Pam Kelly paralyzed. November 17, 1973, Edwin M. Kennedy Jr., then 12, had to have his right leg surgically amputated due to bone cancer. April 25th, 1984, David A. Kennedy died of a cocaine overdose in a Palm Beach, Florida hotel room. April of 1991, William Kennedy Smith arrested and charged with the rape of a young woman at the Kennedy estate. Yeah, I don't think that's got anything to do with the curse. That's being horrible. December 31st, 1997, Michael Kennedy died in a skiing accident in Aspen, Colorado. I remember that. They were playing football on skis, and he, he skied into a tree. Oh, my goodness. July of 1999, JFK Jr. died when the plane he was piloting, a Piper Saratoga, crashed into the Atlantic Ocean. September 16, 2011, Kara Kennedy died of a heart attack while ex- exercising in Washington, D.C. Health Club at age 51. She had reportedly suffered from lung cancer nine years earlier, but had recovered after the removal of part of her lung. And in May of 2012, Mary Richardson Kennedy committed suicide on the grounds of her home in Bedford, Westchester County, New York. Wow. That's a lot of shit for one family. That is a lot. Now, again, you can argue. It's a big family. It's a big family. People die all the time. Right. And this is a family, you know, you talk about the plane crashes and stuff. That's proportionately much higher than the average person. I mean, how many people do you know have died in a plane crash, let alone in your own family? Right. But those people are flying a lot more than time, right. All the time. Than the average bear. Yep. So that can be explained for sure. It's amazing, though, that uh, one family like that has met with so much tragedy. So yeah, much dramatic tra- loss. There's a new book out now about the uh, the Kennedy curse and it is called The Kennedy Curse Shattered by Les Williams and his argument is this that all of those things are real all of those things happen mm-hmm. but there's nothing supernatural about it he says it's Joe Kennedy senior's fault the patriarch okay he said Joe Kennedy raised his children to believe that they were better than anyone else and that they had to win Every time and at any cost, his obsessive driving ambition would influence the decisions that his children made and the way they lived their lives. And this controlling, overbearing approach would have disastrous consequences for the family over the years. Now, of course, doesn't explain things like disease or or something like that, but they did take risks. Okay, so there was a a drive to succeed that maybe put them in more dangerous situations than sure. than the average family might be repeatedly put into. Yeah. Got it. And in addition to that, because there were so many big horrible things that happened to them like, you know, the assassinations, that kind of fed on itself and caused more tragedy. A good example of that is David Kennedy's death. Uh David of course was the son of RFK Ethel and Robert F. Kennedy, one of their 11 children. He died, in, as I mentioned, in 84 at a Palm Beach hotel after a drug overdose, 28 years old. He had reportedly watched his father's assassination on live TV when he was a little boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's... And he struggled with drug addiction. Sure. So I think it's just kind of like, you know, it's a it's a perfect storm of things. Yeah. I don't think it has anything to do with Honey Fitz's gold. But. I, I wouldn't think so either. But I do. It it makes perfect sense that certain tragedies will 
beget more mm. tragedy. Mm. It just makes sense. But yeah, no, probably, probably not got to do with a pot of gold. So that's what I was able to dig up on the, on the Kennedy curse. Um, I had not heard the pot of gold story. Right. That's interesting. That comes from the Irish press. But I think the new book, The Kennedy Curse Shattered, is, is definitely onto something there with the, uh, you know, the, the blind driving ambition that uh, Joe Kennedy Sr. instilled in his children to succeed at any cost, at any price, at any risk. That's really interesting. It also makes me want to learn more about Irish folklore. And I can't wait to go to Ireland with you mm. and, and go to all the places and see all the amazing things and learn all the amazing stuff. I want very much to go to a museum and see a piece of Irish history and go, do you think that, do you think that's the pot that had mm. the Fitzpatrick Fitzgerald? What was his name? Fitzgerald. Fit okay. Yeah. Honey Fitz. Honey yeah. Fitz. Yeah. Do you think that's a piece of the pot from Honey mm. Fitz school? <laughs> You think that's, think that's his pot? Yeah. Well, I have Irish roots. I would love to go. My uh, great-grandfather's name was O'Hagan. O'Hagan. Yeah. Didn't your, like, great-grandmother come here because of the Irish potato famine? And, yeah, yeah. Like, she was, like... She was sturdy. She was a mad, sturdy female. She was. Who made her way here. She I, did. I love that story, too. Please tell it. <laughs> that's for another time as well. Okay. Remind me to tell you the plane story. Okay. The plane uh, incident. I will. My grandfather and his crazy. I'm writing it down right now. Antics. Tickets for our live shows probably will go on sale this week. Uh, they're in the process of uploading all of the information to the various websites, and uh, we expect to be able to announce their being on sale in in, in the coming days. Again, we're going to be in Boston. October 27th. We're going to be in Charlotte. October 29th. And we're going to be in Nashville. October 30th. It's our Halloween week mini tour. I'm so fucking excited. <laughs> <laughs> we're very excited about the response uh, on social media so far and looking forward to it. You know, we mentioned that a couple of our Freak family members from um, Michigan drove 13 hours to go see the show in Nashville Last time, we got a message from them. They're doing it again. You should come to Boston. It's probably closer. <laughs> it might be about 100 miles or so <laughs> closer. But either way, we look forward to seeing you wherever you end up. And we look forward to seeing you on Thursday. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to, to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. I'm putting some socks on. We're getting sassy up in this bitch. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast 
a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>